This morning I almost have to feel like I have to reintroduce myself. I've not had the privilege of standing before you for the last three weeks and preaching. Some of you are saying amen, but uh, I have missed it. I thank the Lord for the use of, of another pastor that still not used to him calling me Pastor Doug. Still have to try to get used to that, but I uh, appreciate his handling of the Word of God and describing what a Christian is, what a church is. And then last week, we were pleased to have with us Andy, Andrew Smith, who shared from John's Gospel, chapter 6. And so I feel like I need to introduce myself. My name is Pastor Doug Wigand. I have the privilege of standing before one of the best congregations in the country. In my opinion, it is the best. Okay, so we built that up. Good. All right. <laughs> we got through that. We got through that. Just need a few of these uh, cough drops here that uh, keep me going. A young lady one day was speeding through a city in the state of Georgia. She was clocked at doing 70 miles per hour in a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone. The state police officer pulled her over and wrote her a ticket for $100 for speeding. She did not have the money, and so because she did not have the money, what she got was a court date where she needed to go and stand before a judge. On her court date, she stood before the judge, and the judge reiterated the fact of saying, Ma'am, you have been judged to be going 70 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone. And the fine is $100. If you do not pay the fine, then you will go to jail for over the weekend. The young lady, shook as she was, she said to the judge, but I don't have a hundred dollars and I don't want to go to jail. The judge sternly from his bench looked down on her and said, ma'am, the law is the law. I cannot change the law. The law says that because you were doing 70 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone, you must pay $100 or you will be going to jail for the weekend. In a sheeping voice and a tear that gathered on her eye, she began to once again tell the judge, I don't have the $100 and I don't want to go to jail is there anything that you can do? Please have mercy on me. The judge looking down, he took and he unzipped his robe, removed it, walked over to the edge of his platform, picked up his jacket and put it on, and he walked down and stood beside the young lady. 
As he stood there, he took his wallet out and from it produced a $100 bill that he took and put up on the judge's bench. When he did that, he then left the young lady's side, took off his jacket, put on his judge's robe and zipped it back up and then once again sat in his chair. And then he began to again once tell the young lady, you have been convicted of doing 70 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone. I cannot do anything about the law. I cannot in any way put aside the judgment. You will have to pay $100 or spend the weekend in jail. He paused for a moment and he said, Ah, but someone has already paid the fine. God from heaven saw us speeding down the highway of life. And he willingly and wantingly unzipped his robe of deity and came to earth. And he put on the jacket of humanity. And it was there that he died, was buried, and rose again in order to pay the penalty of sin that we could not pay. After his resurrection, he took off the cloak of humanity and put back on his robe of deity and zipped it up and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the glory of the gospel. That is what the goodness of the gospel is all about It is about God who saw the situation and knew there was no way mankind could pay for their penalty. And so he willingly paid it that we may be set free. This morning, I want to begin a study through the book of the Galatians. You're not familiar with the region of Galatia because it no longer exists. But at one time, it took hold of the center section of Turkey. It was there that the Apostle Paul, in his first and most likely his second missionary journeys, wrote this letter. And he sent it off to a church that was confused. And he wanted to clarify a very important issue. And the issue is, is how good is the gospel? In the first five verses of the first chapter of the book of Galatians, I want to share with you this morning Four characteristics that I see that highlight how good the gospel is. 
there's in your bulletin a, a, a piece of note paper there if you wish to take notes, but I would rather that the Holy Spirit would plant it in your hearts and for you not to put it on paper and hide it in your Bible. But it's, it's good for reminders. It's good for us. And thus, the, one of the other reasons that I sense the study of Galatians is so important because I see a storm gathering on the horizon. A storm that maybe one day the preaching of the gospel will be illegal and even illegitimate. That's nothing new because the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Galatians, also included that thought as he wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 1 when he said, the preaching of the cross to them who are perishing is foolishness. It's illegitimate. It has no bearing. And from the storms that I've been seeing on the horizon If ever we need the gospel of Jesus Christ in the streets of our cities, it's now. That's thus the the introduction to the book of Galatians. Before we get to the four characteristics, let's just ask the Lord to help us to know. Lord, we need your help. We need your empowerment. We need your voice. We need your strength. The gospel is good because it's called good news. But we struggle with just how good is it. And I pray, O God, that this morning, some of this will be a refreshment of facts we already know. But Lord, it's good to revisit a good meal. It's good to be reminded of your word and what it has to say. So help us, O Lord, to gather together these notes, these thoughts. And the intents of our heart, O God, may it be pleasing to you. And I'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. The first characteristic of how good is the gospel is found in the first two verses. It says, again, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The gospel is that good that it is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. When you go back to the book of Acts, <coughs> excuse me, when you go back to the book of Acts, and you begin reading in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, you stop at chapter 8, verse 3 you're introduced to two interesting characters. One is named Stephen, 
and the other is named Saul. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is accused of blaspheming the name of God because what he's preaching through the power that he's received from the Holy Spirit is not well received in his streets. I wonder if we would do as well if we arrived in Portland, Oregon at 8 o'clock at night and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the situation that Stephen was in. And so he begins his defense in a historical diatribe. He tells of how God blessed Abraham, how God used Moses to bring them out of Egypt, how God promised them a land that now, he says, we are standing in. All of that, he's doing great until he gets to verse 51. And in verse 51, he says, and you stiff-necked people. That's like throwing kerosene on a fire. They were hot enough when he started. And he just turned the heat up. The text tells us that they dragged Stephen out of town. They began to stone him. And the witnesses took their cloaks off and threw them at the feet of an individual by the name of Saul. And there, Stephen died. You go to chapter 8, and it says that Saul had great pleasure in the stoning of Stephen. Because, it says, Saul ravaged the church. He would go into homes and take out women and men and throw them into prison. When you come to chapter 9, it's a different story. Saul's on his way to Damascus. He's got all the authority because he went to the high priest and got letters of acceptance. Letters that he could present as he arrived in Damascus that would give him the right to take out women, children, and men from the way and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. But a funny thing happened on the way. In Acts chapter 9, Saul meets Jesus. We just need to stop here just for a brief second to tell you that you were on a road to Damascus one day. 
And if it wasn't for Jesus showing up to get your attention through the word of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, you'd have made it all the way to Damascus and would have forgotten, would have never known who Jesus Christ is. So when the Apostle Paul, who later on in the book of Acts, his name is changed from Saul to Paul, it goes from a Jewish name to a Greek name. Now the reason that that's important is because the Apostle Paul became the Apostle to the Gentile church. And he needed a Gentile name in order to minister to Gentile people. God changed his name. And by the way, God has changed your name too. You go from that which you receive in the mail with your name on it, but according to Jesus Christ, you are known by one name, Christian. That's who you are. The gospel is that powerful that it could take a murderer, a killer of people, a destroyer of the church of God, and now make him an apostle for the church of God. In other words, what I want to tell you, dear people, is this, is the gospel is that powerful that it can change anybody. It changed you. It changed me. It can change anybody. The gospel is that powerful that it can take those who are blind and all of a sudden they see. They were hungry and all of a sudden now they're fed. They were hopeless and now they have hope. Meaningless and now have meaning. I wonder if that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. The first characteristic of the gospel in the first two verses is that now the Apostle Paul has been established as an apostle. That's the power of God. That it can take you from what you are not to make you what God wants you to be. Because he said, my office didn't come by man or men. It came by Jesus Christ and by God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's the power of the gospel. The second characteristic that we see in these first five verses, the second one is this. What makes the gospel so good is the person of the gospel. You have the power of the gospel, verses 1 and 2. The person of the gospel, verse 3 and 4. Once again, I draw your attention to the text as it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself 
for our sins. The person of the gospel. The scriptures overflow with a river of truth that highlight the fact that we need to spend just a few moments looking and refreshing our minds. Keep your finger or one of these fancy felt things here that keep your place and turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John, chapter 3. A familiar passage, but it's something we need to remind ourselves of. I want to just read for you verse 14 to 18. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. The person of the gospel is that dynamic that God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us. Paul records that in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. John the Baptist, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, exclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ravi Zacharias points to a thought that all mankind must struggle with. And it is this. Is there hope for my life? It goes on and says, is there a usefulness in this world for me or am I just nothing more than a gathering of cells destined for doom? My dear people, what makes the gospel so good is the person of the gospel, Jesus Christ, who willingly came and gave significance to the highest created action of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1. But we're created in the image of God. And he loves us that much that he made a promise. And the promise was to Adam and to the woman 
He said the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of man. That's the gospel. And throughout all of the Old Testament, even into what we are studying today, the truth has never stopped that God is interested, God's passion is the salvation of human souls. And he provided the way. That's what makes the gospel so unique. Is that we have a savior who knew no sin, but willingly became sin for us that we might be the very righteousness of God. When you come to that Glorious chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. You awaken to the stark reality of the horrificness of what the Savior is going to feel. But you dare not skip over the part where it says God gave him over. The hundred dollars was placed on the judge's bench for you and for me. And for those of us who believe in him and trust in him only as our hope of eternal life, we've been set free. Will someone give me an amen or am I just talking to myself? We've been set free. That's the person of the gospel. The third P I wish to make mention of is how good the gospel is, is the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it gives to us the purpose When it says these words, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Now you got to camp on that sentence for a little bit. It is the will of the Father that you would be set free. It is the will of God, our Father, who has determined that when we are saved, we don't live unto ourselves. We don't walk unto ourselves. We are to be fashioned in the way we live, in the way we walk, in the way we talk into the very image of Jesus Christ, who is God. Jesus Christ came to this earth for the purpose of being our sin bearer and dying and paying the price that we can be set free. Here in this statement alone, 
we find the three avenues, the three, if you will, courses of what we call salvation. First is justification, whereby God has determined that through the finished work of Jesus Christ and anyone that believes in him for their only hope of eternal life, they have been determined not guilty. Then there's sanctification. Sanctification is the continual growth process to maturity. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. That never stops. Can someone please raise their hand and tell me, have you stopped learning stuff? I learned this week that when you go to the eye doctor and they put drops in your eyes, then they say, okay, you can leave now. Your best better have a CNI dog. You walk out in the sun and you can't see. And I learned how debilitating that is. Then I also learned as I got to the flex, I said, honey, you're going to have to drive. And she said, oh, this ain't going to be good. I didn't know what to do then. Do I sit on the curb for the next five hours until my eyes focus, or do I get in and trust my wife? I couldn't see. There's some things in the gospel that I can't yet see. But I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will put oil in my eyes to see. There's a, a deleted scene in the movie called The Avengers where Dr. Bruce Banner has a conversation with a watchman of an empty building. And it's right after Dr. Bruce Banner, who was the Hulk, by the way, he crashes through this the roof of that building, and he falls in a heap. And the watchman is coming up on him as he's turning back into a human. And the watchman asks him a very interesting question. He says, son, where are you going? Dr. Bruce Banner, the Hulk, who is now the the doctor, He responds by saying, I don't know. I I think I need to go to here, but I'm not sure. I, I just don't know. As the scene closes, Dr. Bruce Banner and the Night Watchman are having a conversation outside the building, and the Night Watchman says to him, Well, wherever you're going, take my motorcycle. Because I'm not going to be using it for a while. 
I know where I have to be and I have to be here. And he said, you know where you have to be and so you need to get there. Bruce Banner said, I don't know where I'm going. And the night watchman responded by saying, son, don't worry. When your mind is made up, the rest of you will follow. As believer people, when our mind is made up to fully dedicate ourselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ, everything else is going to follow. Our lifestyle is going to change. Our habits are going to change. All because of the purpose of the gospel, which is to save us from this present evil age. We are not to walk around like individuals who are lost. We are to be engaged in a life that's been found. All but the fourth one. It's just as powerful because the gospel is that good that there's a praise in the gospel. There's a praise. Verse 5 highlights that when it says, To him be the glory forever and ever. And in the Greek, that is a continual statement that never ceases forever and ever and ever. Not to stop. The few moments we have, I'm closing. Please turn with me to Revelation, the fifth chapter. This is in closing. Revelation chapter 5. I love to hear the rustling of the Word of God pages. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. 
He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with the incense with the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people by for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And the saints at Grace Community Church said, Amen. The power, the person, the purpose, and the praise. You want to know why the gospel is so good? Because we're going to be there one day. Let's pray in closing. Thank you, our God. For the very wonder and glory that is yours. And as we embark on this letter to the Galatians, to the churches, the Apostle Paul has set them straight as to what the gospel is. O oh Lord, may it be solidified in our minds that we may be able to share with others the life-giving gospel that is in Christ and Christ alone. To you be the honor and the glory and the power and dominion both now and forevermore. And with this we say, Amen.